to the podcast, everybody. This is your host, Charles Kiesnowski, and I would like to introduce to you Alicia, the leader of the REIT Running Club and big-time marathoner. Glad to have you, Alicia. Thanks, Charles. So excited and honored to be on your podcast. So how has um, running been currently? Currently, I'm focusing on 5K training. Um, this last year of 2020, I really focused on marathon training. So I'm giving myself my Saturdays back <laughs> by focusing on some shorter distances. That's amazing. And I saw that one of the big races that you did was the Rebel Mount Charleston Marathon. Yeah, I did. I did that one. Thankfully, you know, due to the pandemic and races getting canceled left and right, um, I saw that Revel was doing a limited edition race, uh, ran it by my coach to see if, you know, we could be ready for um, that race day. And he said, let's do it. So thankfully, I had an in-person race. There is about uh, less than 300 people running it. It was a very small, socially distant race and had the race of a lifetime for sure. <laughs> and what was the hardest part of that race? Because it, it's like a descent the whole time, right? Yeah, for, for um, 26.2 miles. So for 20 of the miles, it was a descent of 5,000 feet, I believe. And the last um, 10K was truly the hardest because as you're running downhill, you are literally, you feel good. Um, you know, the weather conditions were perfect, and, but your quads are getting destroyed with each and every step. And that last 10K was the hardest because you don't have the momentum and that fresh feeling in your legs anymore. Now you're carrying through. And um, there was a, a, a very small incline, which felt like the largest mountain in the world. And honestly, I walked up it. I, it, I just, I didn't have it in me. But then when I was passing men of, um, it, it was like that, oomph that I needed to keep going and, and pushing forward to the finish line. And I'm, I'm glad I, I didn't stop. Um, I think the momentum of just keep one foot in front of the other is the, the biggest lesson to, to be learned on, on race day for anybody, no matter what distance. And some people may think that running downhill is really easy, but it's really not because it's going to, like you said, it's going to put wear and tear on your quads and it's going to beat, it's going to beat someone up over time. And like uh, the elevation is pretty high too. So you're doing altitude training while you're going downhill. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, prior to running Revel, um, I definitely had my prejudice against the race, but now have mad respect for those downhill courses, because if you do not train properly, you are going to, you know, probably be destroyed by the halfway point. Um, because again, like, like you just said, it's that wear and tear over the, the distance, it really catches up to you. 
So you have to train properly. You have to get those quads and those glutes strong um, leading into the race and doing hill workouts and downhill workouts. It all, I like to call my training like a soup. You got to have all these ingredients and then come race day, you know, you have that, that beautiful soup that you created and it all blends together nicely. (laughs) And where you live, you get a lot of hill training in already, which is a big factor for those types of races. Yeah. So actually it's funny because, so I'm from San Francisco. I live, um, next to, or I used to live next to the beach. So I was sea level in order for me to run anywhere else into the city. I would have to do some sort of elevation, um, in my, throughout my route. However, I always avoided it. So I really never got to where I am today if it wasn't for my husband and I moving to Sausalito, which again is another little coastal town, but we live on a 250 foot hill. So I have to climb up this hill no matter what um, (laughs) after my run. And that helps me tremendously Um, You know, I was looking back at my training and just for example, um, so you can get a little understanding of elevation gain. So from February 2019 to February 2020, I had a total elevation gain throughout my year of training of 27,000 feet. Since moving, I had a total elevation in, in training of 114,000 feet. So you can see there's a huge difference (laughs) in what I was doing and then what 2020 and the move did for for my fitness. Right, because where I live, I live on the eastern coast. And when I train, I hit around that elevation, like you said, what you did for your first um, elevation training before you hit a hundred thousand uh-huh and that's like kind of like the average i would say because where i live i have a little bit of hills it's not super hilly but it's it's just enough to do like quality training but not like going like crazy just focusing straight on straight on the hills yeah and i i know a lot of the country isn't blessed with our california hills but you just have to make do with what you got. And if you find that parking lot structure or you have access to a treadmill and have it being able to be set to, you know, elevation or incline mode, definitely take advantage of it. Um, If you can, I mean, even if you did your cross training one day out of your week with walking, on incline, that's going to be so beneficial for you. Um, and it's, you know, low impact, but you are strengthening those, those muscles that you um, wouldn't have done otherwise. And, and doing a lot of weight training, lifting weights a lot can help with that. Oh, too. yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Weight training, lunges, wall sits. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be crazy. You don't need to use a huge dumbbell. But I mean, personally, for me, I was using a 25 um, pound dumbbell just because I, I honestly can't carry that much extra weight. But to just to hold that weight and to do lunges with holding that weight, um, you know, you're, you're giving yourself that extra advantage. And do you do a lot of strength training when you train for these like big events, just hill workouts, but in general? Um, honestly, I strength train maybe twice a week. Um, lately, I've gotten after after the work after the marathon I ran in November. You know, I was so gung ho, and I worked so hard to achieve what I achieved. That for the last couple of months, I've just really taken it back and have just tried to enjoy running and try to enjoy more trail running, just getting out there and, and not being so focused on marathon training. Because I know what I'm doing today will help me in the future. I just, so back to your question about strength training, I do about twice a week. I do maybe 15, 20 minutes. Like it, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it does help. Right. And what are like some of the advantages of hill training where you live over another place like that has hills too? Is And you said it's like not super elevation either. Um, I guess the advantage for, for, for where I live is that you can't get away from it. It's just, like I said, in order for me to go down to the store, like I have to climb back up that hill. Um, and, you know, I have access to so many trails and around me and easily on a six mile run, I can gain like 600 feet in ele- elevation, which definitely adds up over time. So I think that's the beauty of where I live here in California. And a 304 marathon is fast for anyone, despite a flat course, a hilly course. And that's well beyond the Boston qualifier. Because I think it's like 335, right? For, for me, particularly my age group, I'm in the 18, I think the 34 age group. And so for us, it's a 330 for females. And so, yeah, um, it was a huge, huge gain. And I'm very confident now in my abilities that I can run um, a strong, fast race in the future. Um, you know, I'm working on that speed and that's, that's the key. It's, you know, like I said, the, about the soup analogy, working on your speed, working on your strength training, working on hill workouts. It's all these magical ingredients when blended together, um, create a beautiful, awesome race that you can be proud of. Right. And I think doing the same thing over and over again into a different training cycle, which I don't think is a good idea. I think switching it up or doing minor adjustments between different cycles is really beneficial because it will help you learn new muscle memory and just learn. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I have a coach because he does all that guesswork for me. I don't have to think about anything. I just do what he gives me. So um, just for, just to explain my merit, how I got to that 304. So I was training for the Boston marathon that was supposed to happen in April of 2020 with, but with the pandemic, it obviously then got pushed to hopefully occur in September. Well, as you, we all know the races especially a large race like that, they then turned it to a virtual race. So for my training, I was training from November until March when they had made that announcement for a marathon. And then when they decided that they were going to push out to September, we switched gears my coach and I, we switched gears to train for shorter virtual races just to keep it fun and keep it light. So mile time trials, 5K training, and then we were going to ramp back up into marathon training so I could run in person in September. Well, obviously that didn't happen So we kind of reeled it back just a tiny bit. And then I had found Revel. So really, I did like two full marathon training cycles in 2020, which I don't recommend to anybody um, just because it's a lot on your body. But at the end of the day, it served me because I was putting that time on my feet and I was focusing on the, um, the endurance factor that I was also missing in my, my training. And I think a lot of people are really, this sport is so individual because there's some people that run like 10 marathons a year or even 20, which is an insane amount, but they're really not getting like the true benefits from that. I mean, they love doing it. They feel great, but it just really depends on the person. Yeah, totally. And it's also what your goal is. I mean, I know some women and some men runners who, you know, want to run for that medal and they'll run and put their body through that um, strenuous, you know, activity weekend over weekend. Whereas, you know, I have a goal in mind and that's the goal I'm going to work. That one race is the goal I'm going to work toward. So, yeah, I totally agree. It is an individualistic goal. And like for myself, one marathon a year is more than enough for me because (laughs) I usually train three or four months nice and hard on that one race. And then one of the when I did that, I actually hit like a 40 minute uh, PR in the marathon a couple of years ago. And that was where I was going to stick to my that type of training and not run two marathons in a year because I did run two marathons in a year and that my legs were just shot at the end of the year. Yeah. And congratulations on a huge PR. That's awesome. And I agree. It's like, you're in this constant state of fatigue. You're like, I don't know what life feels like if I'm not this sore, this tired, or this hungry all the time. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's definitely different. And I mean, I'm enjoying 5k training because like I, I think I mentioned earlier, I have my Saturdays back, you know, I can, I'm not dead to the world after I ran an 18 miles. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I ran maybe, you know, 10 miles that day and I can enjoy, you know, the rest of the, the day without feeling tired and fatigued and starving. <laughs> and just to be clear, you ran a five hour and 21 minute marathon. And then over seven years to present day, you cut off almost like half of that time, like over two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I was just a little backstory about me. You know, I was never, I never considered myself a runner. I hated running. I kind of enjoyed it in elementary school. Cause I was like, I felt like I was as fast as the boys, but then, you know, through middle school and I tried track and I got really bad shin splints and I was like, never again, never touching running. Um, and so it wasn't until after college, my friend convinced me to sign up for a half marathon. I was like, well, what am I going to get out of it? And she's like, you know, you can get this Tiffany's necklace. That's your, that's like your medal. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. So I literally taught myself how to run with a walk run method at first. And I mean, my first miles were painful. I was running 13 minute miles. Um, and then eventually over time, and that was back in 2010. So from 2010 to 2021, you know, I've been able to cut down my mile significantly from a 13 minute mile to a 5:30 mile. So I'm like, I truly believe that anybody who is running a 10, 11, 12, 13 minute mile can push themselves to the ability to, if they would like to run faster. And again, fast is relative because running a 10 minute mile is obviously faster than a 13 minute mile and, and so on. So yeah, with consistent training um, and the last couple years of having a coach. And again, that was a huge game changer for me to be able to um, have that accountability and um, knock down, knock down the time. And like you said, consistency is probably one of the most important parts of training. You just get out there. If you don't feel like doing it, just do it because it's really going to add up over time and whatever you're training for, just don't take the off day unless you really need to. If you're feeling like miserable or you have an injury, then that's when you should take precautions. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even, even today, I, you know, last week I took an off day because I was just feeling super fatigued had some migraines going on, some physical um, stuff in my body. And it's, it's okay to take the off day, but the consistent training is what matters. Sticking to a schedule um, and having those miles add up over time because it's, it really is going to be beneficial. Right. It's just going to add up. And the big results will happen. You just have to be patient and just keep doing it. Yes. Patience is definitely key. And I also, I wanted to dive into a different topic a little bit. So you are, you sure. are the leader of the Arete Women's Running Club. 
Yeah. So it's called um, just a little, it's called arete, but some do people do call it a re. It is different. Um, it's a women's and national women's run club. And just a little backstory about them founded by two women um, in Santa Cruz who really wanted to create a team for uh, women who wanted to have fun while running fast. Um, so I'm the, chap- the chapter co-leader in San Francisco. Um, I, I do it jointly with another woman and we meet once a week on Saturdays and, you know, it's women of all paces and our common goal is to have fun while run- running fast, whatever our, our fast goal may be. Again, we have women on the team that run 12 minute paces and we have women on our team that run five minute paces. So again, it's just, it's all over the board, but it's, it's nice to have that support um, and that accountability that we're all here to cheer each other on and get each other to the, whatever the next level may be in our, in our training. And the community is so important and it's bigger than ever. Just running with people. You see people on the media running posts and it just gets you amped up to do some more training. Yeah. And it gets you out the door. <laughs> so back to what you were saying, you're not feeling it. Um, but when you know uh, Jenny is waiting for you or, uh, you know, at 6.30 or 7.30 a.m. on a Saturday, you're going to show up and you're going to be there for her because she's, she's being there for you. So the community aspect is huge. Uh, you know, I didn't like running. And that's another thing about running. It's like it's an individualistic sport, but at the same time, it's a team sport. And at first I didn't like running with other people because I thought people would judge my paces when I was running 12 minute, 10 minute paces. But really at the end of the day, nobody cares. Like (laughs) they just care that you showed up and that you're a good person and that you geek out about running the way that they're geeking out about running or, you know, it's their escape from their kids that are screaming at home and they were like, I just need this hour for me. So, yeah. And also I think that running is like the anti-drug. You're not going to, you might not feel good doing it, but when you're done, you're going to most 10 out of 10 or nine out of 10, you're going to feel pretty good. Yeah, totally. It is. It's like you get that runner's high. You absolutely do. And even the first mile or two miles, but when you get into the run and you get into the groove, then it's all worth it. Uh, absolutely. And that's how I kind of felt. Um, just for example, like yesterday, I had a very specific speed workout and I always get like these butterflies before my speed workout. And I'm like, I almost psych myself out almost every single time. And then once I get moving and I get grooving and then that buzzer goes off on your on my watch, like, okay, got to go. Let's, it's time to pick it up to that faster pace. Then you're charging forward. And then afterward, you're exhausted. But at the same time, you're, you're exhilarated. <laughs> and one of your mottos that you stand by is, yes, we can. Yeah, that's my mantra. I absolutely believe in it. It's, it's what I 
when things get hard in a run and all those, you know, that inner dialogue um, starts speaking to you, like, slow down, you, you're not, you can pull over, you're done today, that was good enough, or, you know, your quads are burning, everything's burning on your speed workout, I literally scream in my brain, like, yes, yes, we can, yes, we can, and that's how I spread it with all my other community members, virtually and in person, like, yeah, we can do this. Like, we can do really hard things. And one of the things that I think comes into play with this mantra is mental mindset. It's 90% mental, 10% physical. You just make sure your mind is aware of what you're doing and not let any distractions hit you when you're running hard, you're in that race, you're in the moment. Yeah, the positive mindset is everything. And I never realized that a lot of people, um, it doesn't necessarily come natural to a lot of people. It's it's kind of how I, I live my life. Like I'm a true optimist. And so having that positive mindset, you know, I, I definitely have my low moments, but I, I allow myself to have that pity party for like, maybe a couple minutes and I'm like, Ugh, okay, shake it off. That was, that was enough <laughs> on, on to the next thing, or you can push hard, you know, in that last, those last, uh, quarter mile, you can do this, you know, it just, and then when you're done, you're like, Oh shoot, I did it. Like, you know, so it, it is definitely eye opening to have a positive mindset. Yeah, and especially for marathon training, because, since it's 26.2 miles, you, you tend to want to take the first half or 10 miles slower than the rest of the half. And if you're feeling great, then you could push it hard. If you're feeling mediocre, maybe stay conservative or not. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the last, the last race I ran in November, I definitely took it conservative. Um, the last, you know, how my coach and I, um, build out a race plan is we take that race and we put it into chunks. So like you were saying, you know, start, start off more conservative. And of course people were passing me and I was like, that's all right. They're running their race. I'm running my race. You have to remember that at the end of the day, this is your race. So especially if you have a goal time in mind, if you're, if you're all about trying to get first place, that's a whole different story. And I'm, I'm not an expert in that. I'm an expert in pacing. So I'm going to give it to you straight here where you start, you know, the first five miles at a more conservative race after the five, you know, especially if it's marathon training, the five to 10, you're going to run a little bit faster. Use that half marathon point as a check-in. How am I doing? Can I start pushing, start pushing? And then that last 10 K it's really, you got to give it all you got. And it's going to feel different every single race. Um, and it's awesome when you can actually um, hit the race plan that you um, set out for. And I think the first 20 miles, you just got to get into the groove of it because the last 10K is that, that's where the real race is. And you, we want to make sure you feel decent because. When I ran New York City Marathon, 
I was at mile 21. My legs were sh- were trashed because of the bridges, the hills, just so much elevation training. It was crazy. Yeah, that's a hard race. I did that race too, and that was my first race back from my injury. And it that's a beast of a course. I, I, I don't even know if I can compare that to the Rebel course because <laughs> they're just completely different where you – have, you know, five bridges you're going to be crossing, I believe. I, I think it was five, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and so you're going up and down and and then you have these rolling hills in the end uh, in the Central Park getting it closer to the finish line. So then there's some more hills. So it's it's definitely a beast, but that one was But I think one. the best thing about it was when you were in Central Park, it was so beautiful just looking at all the scenery and the crowds. And it helped you. It probably helped a lot of people get to the finish line. Yeah, it was. The, it's definitely an electric race, and hopefully, you know, we can get back to that point later this fall. If not, you know, twenty twenty, we can people can celebrate running a marathon with that amount of crowd cheering them on and every step of the way. The hardest point in the New York City Marathon for you. Um, I would say I'm, I'm visualizing it was like towards the end, um, right after we, uh, finished, got out of, um, is it Harlem? I don't, I don't remember. Um, but right when you're getting back into the park, I think that was hard because it felt like an incline, but I actually ended up finding one of my team mates. She, she came over from New Jersey and she was cheering. And so she had red vines and like a bunch of <laughs> snacks and goodies. And I ended up just taking a water from her. I didn't want anything to snack on. But I think that was the, that was like kind of a low point. And then when I found her, it was like that, the energy I needed to pick me up. And then when I saw the 800 meter mark, I was like, oh, it was like a mental switch for me. I was like, oh, that's only two laps around the track. Like, I do that all the time. I can do that. And so I was just gunning for the finish at that and, point. And, yeah, the hardest point for me, like I said, was like mile 21. It was, it was just so hard. It was crazy. <laughs> that's the last 10K for you. <laughs> and what – I wanted to get into nutrition. So what kind of nutrition do you use during marathon training? I use um, Generation UCAN. It's a super starch um, that uh, powder that you mix with water. And I drink that before my run. Um, and it helps sustain my blood levels. And, or I'm sorry, blood sugars. And then um, I drink another concoction of it. It's, it's a more um, condensed version, so less water in a, in a squeezy bottle. And I'll drink, I'll start nursing on that anywhere between mile eight through 13. And if I have a little extra of it, I'll drink another um, couple sips of it around mile 18. But really, I, I know I can't do gels um, and goos uh, type of um, products because my stomach is just really sensitive. And I have found that 
UCAN um, has really just helped me. And I also drink um, hydration with electrolytes. So I'm, I actually switched over to this company called Liquid IV. And they are highly, um, it's a much more saltier drink. And I have found that that helps with me because I sweat a lot. And so I'm losing a lot of salt. And um, since it's such a salty beverage or filled with electrolytes, I found that that helps sustain my levels as well. So I know um, you got to be very careful about what's on the course I always, always, always bring my own um, bottles. And yeah, my arms are tired because <laughs> I'm carrying bottles uh, for 26.2 miles. But for me personally, it's worth it not having a stomach issue because um, nobody needs any GI uh, distress throughout 26.2 miles or even a, um, you know, a 10K or a half marathon. So you got to find what works for you and you train with it. Don't, don't try something new. Right. Day. And especially a lot of runners, they should know this. They should look at the course map and see where the, um, the water stands or the Gatorade stands are. So you don't like automatically drift to one side and then you're stuck with that because there's going to be other runners coming in and they could blockade you from getting to the other side. And you don't want to ultimately get cramps from drinking like, a half a bottle of Gatorade when you're like dehydrated. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's also what, what helps is if you do bring product with you onto the course, um, you know, you could use those, those later first aid kit, uh, first aid stations later on in the course. So you, you can avoid the crowds in the initial uh, aid stations so you can have a little bit of a strategy there to what you're yeah, saying. And I think goos, goo gels aren't the best. I don't really use them that much. I used to because I would need some sort of fuel, I guess, to help me. But I really realized that there's too much sugar in it for me. There's, there's just too much like ingredients that makes my stomach go crazy. Yeah. So what do you use I don't right really now? use anything. Maybe a half a banana and some water with some uh, electrolyte mix. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm not an expert in nutrition. All I can say is, you know, there's so many products out there. So just try something that work, works for you. Unless you don't feel like you need the ener um, sustained energy, you know, or you have that sustained energy. Um, and you don't need additional fuel. I, I just know I personally work better if I have something um, on my stomach and in my stomach, um, even if it's just a, a little bit, um, it definitely helps. I was always crashing at mile 16 and I never knew why. And it was because I didn't have enough fuel. <laughs> and I think hitting the wall is one of the worst things that could happen, especially in the marathon. You do not, you, oh, it's you brutal. Do not want that to happen. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been there for plenty of marathons, and it's a, it's a real dark, scary place. <laughs> You're, you know, like that negative mindset 
for me personally, it kicked in and it's like, what are you doing with your life? Why did you choose to run a marathon? And if you can crawl out of it and, and reframe your mindset, like, Hey, no, get it together. You got this, get some fuel in your system. Maybe you, maybe you are missing some electrolytes. Maybe you just needed some water, just plain water. Um, it, it all, it all helps, but yeah, I, Definitely, I feel all of those marathoners out there that have hit the wall. I've, I've and, definitely been one of them. And you want to make sure that, like, you hydrate and fuel early. Because if you fuel just a little too late or you hydrate just a little too late, you're going to be screwed. Because when you're already starting to feel symptoms of dehydration or even a little bit thirsty, you're going to get dehydrated a lot faster because of that. Because you didn't prepare early enough in the race. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that goes with what I was saying um, earlier about I start nursing on my UCAN around mile eight because I know what I've put into my body held me for you know two hours, but I don't want my energy level to go down. I look at it you know, like kind of like a car gauge, right? Like you see your fuel meter going down towards empty, you want to make sure that it's, it just stays level pretty much the whole time. So yeah, sustaining that energy earlier, even if you feel, even if you don't feel like you need it, take it anyway, because it, it's going to help you. And what type of uh, shoes do you use? What do I, yeah, that's a great question. I run in Brooks. I run in a couple of different types of Brooks running shoes. So I run, I train in for my longer runs. I train in the Brook Adrenalines GTS twenties that, you know, the number really doesn't matter because every year they're probably coming out with a new number, but that's the shoe I run in. I'm, I overpronate. I have really flat feet. (laughs) So I need the support and the stability, and that's a great shoe. And then for my speed workouts, I run in the Brooks um, Hyperion Tempos. It's a much lighter shoe. I slip my orthotics inside the shoe just to give me that arch support that I need, but that's a more neutral shoe. Um, But it really feels like you're running on air when you you compare the two. Um, But you got to find the shoe that works for you. And I know there's a bunch of run stores out there that do, um, examine how you walk and how you run and they can definitely cater to what your, your needs are. But I personally love Brooks running just because they're a fun company and their shoes have not steered me wrong. And each so person far. <laughs> has their own different type of foot pronation or however they should just get it properly fitted. Like you said, because if you if you don't, you're in more risk for injury. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely go check out one of the stores. I mean, it could be a a local a local running store or the Fleet Feets and the Roadrunner Sports of the World, which are, are larger companies. But they have experts that can tell you how you pronate where your arches, you know, if you have high arches or low arches and yeah, they can definitely tailor the shoe for you. What people shouldn't do is just look at a shoe and just buy it because if 
like if you're a big athlete, that's really important to get the right shoe. Just spend the extra dollar and just get the shoes that are properly like adjusted for your feet. Yeah. And, and don't buy a shoe. Like you said, don't buy a shoe based on how it looks. So I've definitely fall victim to this where, um, because, you know, I really liked the pink shoe or the flashier shoe. Um, and it ended up causing like a foot injury for me, for example, back in 2017. So yeah, you definitely want to listen to the experts and get the shoe that is right for you. Even if you think it it's not as attractive, you're going to regret um, choosing a shoe based on how it looks versus how it actually feels on your body. Because nobody likes and to even be injured. Even if it costs <laughs> a lot of money still and it looks like so shiny on the rack, just don't choose it. I would just ask an employee at the store to get help for that. Yeah, definitely. I totally and agree with you. I want to dive into another topic that you're the co-leader of the San Francisco chapter. Yeah. So for what's the that Arte. about? Oh, that's the Arte, right? Yeah. So that's the women's running club. Um, we are nationally around the country and we're um, focused on supporting each other and it doesn't matter what pace you run as long as you want show up and support each other and have a the a goal that we can um and just encourage the athletes to dream big exactly just go big and those goals will come when you stay consistent you just gotta be patient Yes, definitely. Consistency, patience, it's all part of the bigger picture. Um, And, you know, remembering your why. We haven't touched on that, but why are you out there training every day? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, do you want to PR? Maybe not everybody PRs. Maybe you're going through, um, you know, a health issue and it's going to be your saving grace. Like you need that 30 minutes to clear your brain and just help it distract you. Or, you know, after work, you need those 30 minutes to kind of help you unwind. So remembering your why is really important. And that's what's always got me out of the door um, throughout COVID, the, the, the initial stages of COVID when it was really hard. And then, um, you know, remembering, like, I have huge goals uh, for marathon training. And I think we've covered everything today. Awesome. Well, I appreciate um, your time. And thank you again for having me as a guest on your podcast, Charles. I'm, again, I'm so excited uh, for you and, and this journey that you're on and entering other like-minded athletes who are all in this uh, well, Thank journey. you so much for coming on to the Passion in Motion Fitness podcast. Have a great day. Thank you. Have a great day.